Welcome to the latest episode of our Business and Focus podcast. I'm Rowena Morris, a director at PwC, and I'm your host for today's episode. Through PwC's partnership with British Athletics, our goal is to enable better decision-making using data analytics, helping the team to win more medals and more events and major championships. One of the ways we're doing this is by helping British Athletics use data to improve the way that athletes eat. Nutrition has been front of mind for many of us recently, with lockdown giving us the chance to pause and reflect on the way that we live our lives. The importance of nutrition is nothing new for athletes, though, for whom eating well isn't just a lifestyle choice, it's a critical part of their success, enabling them to train, recover and perform to their full potential. I'm very excited to be joined in our virtual studio today by a very special guest, Greg Rutherford, MBE. Greg is a retired British track and field athlete who specialised in long jump. He's won gold for Great Britain at the Olympics and the World and European Championships and for England at the Commonwealth Games too. And the medals haven't stopped rolling in since he retired. He also won Celebrity Masterchef in 2019. I'm also delighted to welcome Mark Fell, Performance Nutritionist at British Athletics. And we're also joined by Alex Cook, a data intelligence partner at PwC, who heads up our data partnership with British Athletics. Great to have you all in our virtual studio today, everyone. And I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Hi, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, hi, Rowena. Thanks for having us here today. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Thanks, everyone, for joining. So I'm going to kick off with you, Greg. Um, and firstly, congratulations on winning MasterChef last year. Thank so you. So I'm very interested um, uh, in finding out, have you been cooking a lot in lockdown? I have indeed, yes. I, I absolutely love cooking. Um, and that's been more discovered since doing MasterChef. Uh, as an athlete, I, I did cook, but nowhere near as, as interestingly as I, as I do now. So, yeah, lockdown was, it was a great opportunity for me to, to spend a lot of time and cook for the kids and, and actually sort of discover a lot more of what they enjoy. Because obviously it's busy household, etc. Um, schools and all those sorts of things. You don't have as much time, so you're, you're putting together what you sort of rely on and what you know well. Um, lockdown to give me an opportunity to cook a, a few more interesting things, which was nice. And we were saying just before we started recording, but I've had a lot of questions from people that knew that we were speaking today around your recommendations on healthy uh, desserts, specifically <laughs> around, you know, what, what would you tend to recommend? And, and you gave some good advice, I think, around that. So I'd be interested to, to hear for everyone what, what you thought of that. <laughs> yeah, well, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm of the mindset. And I was, I was a bit like this as an athlete as well. I think if you're going to treat yourself, if you fancy a piece of cake or something like that, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of then going for a completely sugar-free, egg-free, flour-free thing that is sort of resembles it. I know for some people they have to due to dietary requirements and things um, for health issues, but my view has always been that if you're going to treat yourself to that, that side of things, I think just treat yourself and go and have that lovely bit of chocolate cake or Battenberg or whatever you fancy. Um, but fundamentally as an athlete that those times are, are a bit fewer and far between um compared to say others so look in, enjoy if you fancy cake have a bit of cake there you go i'm going to use that as a quote so i'm very happy with that and i definitely had a bit of a sorbet phase over the summer so i was thinking you know that that sounds like a healthy dessert so i'm going to go with that oh um, there you go <laughs> um, so i saw you appeared on bbc uh, one to give the nation some tips on how to keep fit and healthy during lockdown and i did think it was really really good although i am sorry to say you were a little bit upstaged by uh, your children. Um, so why is nutrition so important to you? Yeah, firstly, my children pretty much upstage me at all times. Um, yeah, they absolutely love just appearing at the most awkward of, of moments. Um, look, nutrition, from my point of view, 
is hugely important. I spent a long time figuring out what worked for me. Uh, and I think that's also a very, very important thing. I, I think the word diet and things is thrown around really, really easily. Uh, and actually understanding how your body responds to things, what, what works for your body is, is the most important thing. So just trying to follow what, what somebody else um, has done or, or, or has worked for them may not work for you. So, so I spent a long time, as I say, figuring out things that worked. And, and it's really interesting. So for, for me, I mean, again, I had such a really basic view of nutrition and, and how to fuel myself. To put in my early years, I mean, sort of four bowls of cereal at times. I go, well, I'm nice and full. I'll go off and do a bit of training now. I'm not really understanding what was going on, what was happening. And it wasn't until I, I joined my coach, Dan Paff, who I, who I had for sort of the last nine years of my career, that I really started to understand through his guidance and um, a nutritionist called Glenn Kearney as well, who, who really helped. Um, just spending that time working out what, what, what is good for me, what actually works for me, how I feel on different foods for training. Um, so that's been something I've then taken forward through into the sort of my, my retirement phase as well. Obviously, I'm a bit more relaxed now, but actually understanding nutrition and understanding it sorry, for my children, et cetera, those are all really important things and something that I've spent a lot of time trying to learn for, for me as the individual. That's really interesting. And I think um, moving on to around how athletes use data to adapt their nutrition plans especially in the run-up to major competitions it feels like there's become and maybe this is due to lockdown but a fascination with this in society at the moment too so with shows like the game changers doing really well so maybe mark can you tell us a little bit about how you ensure athletes are getting the right nutrition ahead of those major com uh, competitions yeah sure so I suppose like you uh, highlighted Rowena there really has been a, a strong interest in nutrition over the past few years especially with a lot of media hype around new diets and superfoods, which really can make it a bit of a minefield at times. But with that being said, how we use data from a performance nutrition perspective ahead of major competitions is to really help and make sure athletes are on the right track to peaking during a major comp and to really help them be in the optimal condition for competing. So the data that we collect will be really orientated to making sure that athletes aren't necessarily pushing too hard on certain aspects associated with their diet but at the same time not overdoing it with other aspects and i suppose some practical examples of this are for instance with certain athletes we may collect a lot of quite detailed dietary analysis to help us have a more accurate picture of of what they're really eating day to day in the lead up to key competitions so that we can make sure they're eating enough energy and even enough of the specific micronutrients like carbohydrates, fats and proteins to ensure they're matching their dietary intake to their daily training needs. Whilst this data may actually also help us understand if perhaps an athlete is eating too much of certain foods and then we can advise other types of foods or amounts of foods that may be more suited to performance. We will also collect other data such as body composition and this is mainly from a health and performance perspective. So whereby in the lead up to key competitions, this can help certain athletes to optimize their competing weight as within certain track and field defense, the, the power to mass ratio of an athlete can be very important. But this type of data will then also help us ensure athletes are not pushing too hard with their weight leading up to key comps um, in which it may then start to have negative implications upon their health. So it then just helps inform us a bit, a bit better. And then we will also use data uh, from collecting different blood and hormonal markers to make sure the athlete, the athlete is healthy 
and isn't efficient in any specific areas. And we can also use these markers to help maximize adaptations from such things as, as altitude. So that's just a, a couple of examples of how we use nutritional data in the lead up to key competitions. So, so many data points there that you're saying about, and that's just a high level summary. So how does that change over the different phases of a season? Yeah, so I think it will probably typically change um, in line with what the athlete is actually trying to achieve within the different phases of the season and also in line or in line with the different types of training that they may, do, may be doing. So I suppose, for instance, an athlete may be doing a lot of higher volume of training for a specific period um, within the season, or they may be doing more specific higher intensity work at specific points in the season, or else they may be doing more gym-based work at different parts of the season. So that will really mean that we'll have diff different nutritional needs to support these different phases of the season and um, to really try and help them maximize and achieve what, what they're trying to um, gain at the different parts of the season. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you were saying just before we started that you've worked with many different athletes across a number of sports, so football, boxing, cycling. What would be the main differences, would you say, in the nutritional needs for those different sports and, and how does it affect different athletics events? So, yeah, I've, I've been quite lucky to have spent some time working within a few different sports. And I suppose the main differences in terms of nutritional needs between these sports is mostly due to the different physical demands and, and the physiological determinants of performance between these sports. So, for example, uh, within professional cycling, where I, I worked for a few years, cyclists would typically be riding for five to six hours per day. They'll be going up and down mountains and it will usually be well over 100 miles of cycling per day. And they will be continuously doing this day to day. So obviously for them guys, they're expending a hell of a lot of energy and require fast amounts of, of certain types of foods to keep their bodies well fueled. And even in some circumstances, they'll be expending up to 6,000 6, to 7,000 calories per day during, during the Tour de France, which, which is a huge amount of energy. And it is actually the equivalent of around 30 regular cheeseburgers to sort of illustrate what that's like. Then this sport then is quite different till boxing, where I worked previously, whereby fighters will, will only really be competing for a maximum of around 36 minutes or so during a, a bout. But an important nutritional need for these guys is ensuring they're making the weight for their intended fight in a safe manner. So in order for a boxer to compete, they have to achieve a certain body weight to allow them to fight within their preferred weight class. So there's obviously the challenge of, of how you can balance in their training, which is often three times per day. So quite a heavy schedule with, with the aim of them making weight as well. So how you can balance both of these components. Whilst then for footballers, they're obviously playing for, for 90 minutes, but again, their nutritional needs will differ greatly as they're very much centered around maximizing recovery between games because they'll often be playing up to three matches a week due to the different competition schedules. So it, it's really underpinned by how just the physical demands of, of these uh, sports are, are vastly different. And I suppose how this then affects different athletics events can be quite challenging because track and field is a very unique sport in that athletes could just be competing for a few seconds, like in the sprint defense or only a couple of minutes, like in the shorter endurance fence or even up to just over two hours with, with the marathon. So again, the most important aspect for me is 
is understanding the different physical demands and the physiological determinants of each of these different events. And this will then really help inform the nutritional needs of the different types of, of athletes performing these, these events. Okay, that's really interesting. And, and maybe Greg, if, if it would turn to you now, so thinking back to when you were a long jumper, how did you use data to inform the way that you ate and, and did that change over time? Yeah, so from, from what I'm hearing there, that I mean, it's a lot more intricate from even when I was jumping, which I mean, it feels like a long time ago, but I only retired two years ago now. Um, there, there really seems to be an awful lot of in-depth um, analysis that goes in. Now, from my point of view, calipers and things were used to measure the amount of, of fat on my body. Um, we would at times do uh, hydration markers and things like that to see exactly what was happening um, during training, but it probably wasn't as prevalent as it, as it maybe is now, which is a really good thing. It's always good to hear that the sport are moving forward um, with trying to maximize people as much as they possibly can. Um, from my point of view, as I say, what we did, we, we found what worked, how I responded the best and things. So there were certain key things that I would happily eat um, on competition days and training days. And I was very good at getting used to very similar things, um, which I, as I knew that it worked. Food was fuel. It's not, it's not like it is now where you can be a lot more inventive and have a lot of fun and sort of have what you like when you like. Um, food was purely a, a fuel base. So I'd say it took that time. It took that change of, of coaching and, and training environment to understand that the things that I was putting in my body, as I mentioned, four bowls of cereal or whatever else, um, really wasn't doing me any favours. Uh, and we, we played around a lot with, with particularly protein and fat-based diets because, uh, again, as we were just talking about sort of the differences between cycling and track and field, I did one of the shortest based events possible. So I ran in a straight line for 45 metres and jumped into a sandpit. I mean, it, it doesn't get much shorter than that really, maybe apart from the high jump. So you're not really going into certain energy sources. You're, you're not having to push your body in certain ways that say an endurance athlete would have to. Um, so I say, so that those, those fats and protein based diets meant that I could stay relatively lean, but stay powerful um, and was able to obviously lift heavy amounts of weight and also jump and run very, very fast. Um, so the data on that was, was purely understanding and developing the amount that I can put in, which will keep me fueled, but not put too much in, in order to become too heavy. Because fundamentally, whatever extra weight I was carrying, I had to carry it through the air. Um, but I would have probably really enjoyed actually the, the advances that seem to have taken place just over the last few years. They, they really do sound fascinatingly interesting to, to me at the moment. And Mark, maybe you could give some perspective around those advances. It'd be interesting to hear a bit more about those over the last couple of years, as Greg was saying. Yeah, so I don't really think that the advances over the past few years have been necessarily ground, groundbreaking, but I suppose one of the real advancements is simply just a greater understanding of how different foods or nutritional supplements or or even popular diets can interact to fuel the, the human body and whether they're actually having a benefit or negative effect upon the health and performance of an athlete. So I suppose, in a way, this has been really helpful in taking away a lot of the guesswork that was perhaps previously associated with nutrition. And I also think just the simple importance or, or influence of nutrition for athletes on a day-to-day -day basis has really become an area of great interest over the past few years in that I think athletes have really started to see the significance of it upon performance and really used it to try and gain that extra one, two, three percent for their performance. And I think a lot of these advancements have really stemmed from some great research questions or or research projects that have or are currently being undertaken 
by different research groups across the world, which which are really investigating specific nutritional questions that are directly applicable to elite athletes, which are such a unique population, which is really great to see and really helps advance our understanding further. And so maybe on that point, Alex, do you have any stories to share about when we've helped um, British athletics athletes adapt their diet to boost boost their performance? Yeah, uh, thanks, Marina. Uh, uh, let's just use these individuals on the call as an example. So Greg is the team. Greg represents the team. You know, Mark represents the team behind the team, sports scientists, coaches that are there to support them. PwC acts as the team behind the team behind the team. So what are we doing? We're, we're providing a, a platform, a technology solution that allows them to take all of the types of data that both Greg and Mark have been referring to, bring that together into one place, and then analyze that and understand uh, the relationships between um, things like, as Mark said, you know, uh, power to mass ratios. Um, or as Greg mentioned, body composition. He talked about the dreaded calipers. Well, every time you measure a skin pole test, uh, you take that eight different points on a on a body that needs to be recorded somewhere with a date stamp, uh, with a mass stamp, so that next time that athlete goes into the gym, uh, works on the force plates to look at how much uh, force they're able to generate. All of that information can then be used together to understand what's changed with respect to um, the individual's mass, what's changed with respect to their body composition, um, how much of their body is comprised of fat, for example, in that uh, in that case, um, and how that's changing and related to the amount of power they're producing. Um, so, you know, just a couple of examples there of the types of data that come um, come about through nutrition and nutritional analysis. Um, you know, Mark mentioned others such as macronutrients, macronutrients, and and these are things that um, we will take into the platform and allow and provide to the coaches and the athletes uh, in an easy to understand way so they can start to uh, measure and uh, and manage and understand the relationships between what they're eating um, and and how they're then performing. I mean, I don't know, Mark, if you've got any examples of um, not names, but particular athletes and, and, and how their diets have changed on the basis of some of the work that you've done. Yeah, so I think PwC has really been a great platform for me when supporting um, specific athletes uh, with their nutritional goals. And I suppose one simple example really demonstrating this is that we will often have athletes who are targeted increases in muscle mass, for instance. So from that perspective, we will be collecting a lot of data around their body composition to see how it is changing over time. We will, we will obviously be collecting a lot of data around gym work from the S&C guys which is stimulating this increase in muscle mass and also just typical training data and metrics from coaches. So quite a lot of data. And all this data will then collectively help me to illustrate how the specific nutritional advice I'll be prescribing to the athlete is helping to achieve these gains alongside showing how this nu nutritional intervention is then influencing the things they're also doing in the gym along with the track. So ultimately the collection and presentation of of all this data is helping us to make more or or better informed decisions when supporting our athletes as well as bringing it all to life in a sense so that athletes can visually see the data and it is also super useful for us in in stimulating more specific performance questions based off this type of of data also to try and uh, help the athlete uh, moving forward as well so that's just a, a short example of of how pwc has really been instrumental in in my work 
And Greg, with the, the differences and the sort of advances in, in the data that we've just been talking about, do you think that some of those approaches might have changed how you might have approached your career? Would you have done anything differently, do you think? I think what it does, it, it takes away a bit of the guesswork. And I think that's really important because fundamentally, if you, as I did, I spent a, a few years having to just figure it out for myself. Um, that then, if, obviously, if you have a team around you that can really spend a lot of time figuring things out through trial and error and obviously a deeper understanding, it removes the guesswork a lot more and speeds that process up. So um, probably from my point of view, in my early career, if I'd have had um, more access to uh, those sorts of, of, of helpers, then that would be a, a really, well, a good work. Well, it's, it's difficult to say, obviously, I'd have had more success because that's, you can't really, you can't <laughs> Uh, but there would have been more ducks in a row that would have given me the best opportunity to thrive. And I think that's always the most important thing I was say to athletes. You, you want to surround yourself with people that give you the opportunity to thrive. Um, and as an athlete, having the correct nutrition and the people around you that can help guide that is a hugely fundamental part of it. Um, so I say having that at an early age definitely would have helped. Uh, and maybe, you never know, could have added more success. And, and, and these things are hugely important. Um, and it was, we sort of touched on it briefly a minute ago, there is a team and there is a team around that team. And there's all, all these teams, that, like Alex was saying, um, it's, it is hugely important. As much as in athletics, it's generally one person apart from a relay that, that's going out there and, and getting the job done. Behind that is, is a lot of people that have put in a lot of effort in order to, to help you thrive. And I'd be interested, Alex, just before we go into, into close, and I'm going to ask everyone for their top tips. So I've given you some, um, some early warning there. But Alex, what parallels can you draw between the work that we're doing as PwC with British Athletics and the data insight we provide to businesses? Yeah, so when we're working with athletes, we're, we're looking at a system. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty well-contained system. It, it sits within the, within the human and the individual. Um, but it's clearly a very complex system. So um, we've talked today about some very simple examples of, of how nutrition can impact that system and, and change the way that system behaves. Businesses are systems too, and they're equally as complex um, and to some degree more so. Um, but the way that you would approach uh, using data to, to assist in optimizing the way that system performs is much the same. You need to understand kind of three things. Well, you know, what's the... Well, what are the drivers of performance? Yeah, where, how do you get value from, from the system? Whether that be you know, selling tins of fizzy pop or, or whether it's you know, jumping into, into, into a sandpit, as Greg says. Um, and from there, once you understand how you drive performance, then you can look at what data helps you to understand that. So what are the sources of the data? Where does it come from? Where do you store it? How do you manage it? How do you need to analyze it? And importantly, how do you then disseminate that to the people that need to use it, um, whether that be people in your business or in this case, whether it be coaches and athletes. Finally, third thing, capabilities. Um, you know, there's a lot of data out there. So having the right technology, processes and people skills to manage data well and, and produce that analysis is really important. So that really, of course, works into any industry. It's really helpful to think of it in those, in those three areas, those three buckets as well. Okay, so that's, that's almost time up, but before we go, it'd be great to finish with some top tips here, if that's all right. And Greg, if I can come to you first, what are your top two or three tips for maintaining a healthy diet? I think having, uh, having an approach where you see food as a lifestyle choice opposed to 
um, well, potentially for some people, an enemy. Look, I, I think, say, I mentioned earlier, the word diet is thrown around way too easily. And I think a diet generally means that people think, oh, it'll end and I can just go back to eating chocolate cake at midnight. You have to get your head around. If you want to have a, a healthy, balanced diet, it is a lifestyle choice. Um, and you have to embrace that lifestyle choice and see it as a, as a long-term, rest of your life in, in most cases, uh, situation. As soon as you get your head around that, it becomes so much easier to enjoy enjoy sorry a, a wide variety of food um and that's probably then leading on to the next bit never be afraid of of trying different foods from different cultures um if you're in a supermarket look at a, a vegetable if you if you see it, it looks odd find a way of cooking it we, we've got so many resources through the internet to understand try lots of things have a wide and, and varied diet and, and as i say generally genuinely enjoy it and, and one more last question for you greg what is your favorite dinner your dream dinner Oh, oh look, I love, genuinely love cooking a roast dinner. I will happily spend three, four hours plus in the kitchen preparing and, and getting it all right, but really going for all the trimmings. So, uh, I mean, sometimes I do that during the week, but often on the weekends where it's a bit easier to do. But I, I really love any form of meat. I mean, if there's a veggie coming over, then again, I go even heavier on the, the veg side of things. Uh, but a proper roast dinner, all the trimmings. Uh, and a lovely thick gravy to go over the top. I mean, you were talking my language, so you're saying, you know, cake in moderation, roast dinners. I mean, this is great, right? We'll finish on that well, with you, Greg. We have to always mention on that, moderation is seen very differently by a lot of people. My perception <laughs> of moderation is probably different to others because okay. I've like 15 years being an athlete. So um yeah don't, don't my moderation might be different to others i definitely want to put that out there okay i like that you just add in that caveat we'll move on to mark so mark your top two or three tips yeah so i think yeah no, number one is just consuming a well-balanced diet to, to maintain health and and again it's just bit building on the the point that greg made made it you just really got to enjoy food as well so a, a lot of the time you well you eat constantly throughout the day so You've got to have a positive relationship with food and and really enjoy it and then secondly just from an uh, athletic perspective is really just ensuring to be consuming enough energy to support the required tra training sessions so typically athletes could be training two three times a day so just making sure they're consuming enough energy to, to support this um, and then thirdly just just being consistent organized and, and well prepared and and you'll just gain the, the long-term benefits from that, really. That's brilliant. And Mark, um, so I'm not going to ask you your favourite dinner. I'm going to say, what's your <laughs> best best recommendation for kicking off the day in the right way in terms of what's the, a good breakfast recommendation? Healthy yeah, breakfast. So, yeah, so I think it's uh, unfortunately not a, not a traditional English fry-up. But yeah, just a, a well-balanced breakfast of some porridge with berries and and nuts and and then maybe um some eggs or, or on the side as well is a pretty well well balanced well balanced breakfast to support the rest of the day i mean this is just excellent this porridge is one of my favorite breakfasts so i'm happy with that and um, i will say we'll leave it there and thank you so much greg mark and alex for sharing those stories and insights and of course thanks to everyone for listening to find out more about our partnership with British Athletics, you can go to our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash British Athletics. So thanks very much, everyone, and see you next time.